Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God together to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me just say, um, tonight I'll be preaching over at New Hope Baptist Church in Elizabeth. Uh, again, this will be my second time there. Um, their church has decided to support the ministry of Christian mentorship. They are also going to be participating in the study of the growth point study that we are actually doing on Wednesday night. So they're about to begin that. And so the reason I'm going is to help them launch that program and to give them an, an initial training uh, to their people so they'll kind of get the, the gist of, of what's involved in that and be able to get the most benefit out of it. And so I really appreciate their participation and desire, and uh, you pray for them as they get started. We're well into it, so you already kind of know where, what, they're, what they're in for, and so pray for them. I'd appreciate that so much, and we're just glad for their participation, and uh, that'll be uh, tonight over there. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you've found your place, would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word? And to get started, we're just going to look at one verse this morning. I want to take a thought from there, and then kind of join some other scriptures with that to build the message that we have today. All right, 2 Timothy 3, we're going to look at verse 12. Let's first bow in prayer, and then we'll read that verse together. So let's pray. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your dear Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts, Lord, who brings us in, in contact with truth to convict, to instruct, to encourage us, whatever the case might be. And Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and died for us that we might be saved and now serve and be in the will of God. We thank you for your word that shows us what that will and plan is. And today we pray that you'll get us a little closer, bring it a little clearer, help us to find our place in your will. And Lord, we just invite you now to speak to our hearts, to make the word of God personal. Help us know what you'd have us do as our next step. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, verse 12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, a lot of times you hear this text mentioned. That's, that last part is kind of what people gravitate to. And um, you're going to hear a message about persecution. That's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to back up and catch the first part, all right? I want you to notice the expression there. Notice verse 12. He said, yea, and all that will live godly. And if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, you might underline that expression, live godly. That's the part I want us to think about today. Live godly. All right, let's look at it one more time. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Today, I want to preach a message from that thought that I've entitled simply this, to live godly, to live godly. You know, we want to understand what that means. We want to know a little bit about what Paul was writing to young Timothy. His, he, was, he was Timothy's mentor, and he was training Timothy in the ministry. He was training Timothy also in the Christian life. On Wednesday nights, we've been in a study, and we've been studying the Christian life. We, we've been looking at what God said that we need to do in order to grow in our faith, to grow in our Christian life. And we took as our text on Wednesday, 2 Peter chapter 1, where the Apostle Peter said, if you want to grow, he said, add these things to your faith. He gave us then that list of those eight characteristics of godliness, and, and godliness being one of those. Actually, we are on the word godly. Uh, currently, we started last Wednesday with the introduction of what that means, and we're going to look this coming Wednesday night at how we begin to, to, to exercise godliness and, and how it plays out in real life. So between these two studies on godliness, I thought it'd be appropriate to introduce this concept and to preach on this today, uh, dealing with the practical side of life of what it means to live a godly life. Now, this is important to us. In particular, well, because first of all, we're, we're believers, because we're Christians, because we want to follow the Lord. It's important to us also because of what Jeremiah just sang about. 
When you're saved by the grace of God, then you love God. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And we discovered that love when we found out about the cross and Calvary and what Jesus did for us. And when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you embraced that love. And then what it did is it caused you to love him back. And because you love him back, you want to do better. You want to do more for him. And that, this, this idea of living godly comes out of that desire to, to do more for him. This, this topic also is important to us as a local Baptist church, particularly as an independent Baptist church. I have found that when it comes to being an independent Baptist, and by the way, a lot of people today don't, don't really know what that means. But this topic is important to the idea of being an independent Baptist because there are four earmarks or descriptions or characteristics of what an independent Baptist church is or, or maybe why we're an independent Baptist church. And they refer to these things. Number one is autonomy. Becoming an independent Baptist church, the motive behind that is that we want to be self-governed. We don't want a headquarters somewhere telling us who our pastor should be, who our missionaries are going to be, who our staff is going to be, and things like that. We want to be self-governing. We want to be able to vote and decide on those topics for ourselves, right? That's autonomy. That's the autonomy of the local church. And so we believe in that, and being an independent Baptist means that we practice that. That means we're independent. It doesn't mean we don't fellowship with other associations, but it means we're not governed by an outside body. All right? Number two is in the area of missions. I don't want to get into the history of the wrong side of that. I just want to say that being an independent Baptist church, and I know this church has discovered this, one of the beauties of that is that we get to select and then support our own missionaries which means we get the privilege of seeing them and meeting them, hosting them, interacting with them as they're on deputation and furlough. They travel through the states. They stop by. We, we, and, and through their prayer letters, we're, we're constantly connected now with world missions because of the way we uh, carry this out through faith promise. All right? Number three. Independent Baptists are known for a godly lifestyle. So independent Baptist churches are strong, usually. Most are. They teach the idea of personal sanctification. We mentioned that word on Wednesday night. Sanctification is the idea that Christians are set apart specifically and purposely for the Lord and for His use. In order to be, do, you know, in order to be set apart for the Lord... It is naturally uh, uh, true that we would be set apart from the world. You see, the Bible teaches us an idea that I, I think many modern Christians have forgotten. And that is this. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the reason for that is because a lot of the world's ways are contrary to God's ways. And often we find we simply cannot please both. And in that case, as a Christian, we have to make a choice. And that choice should always be to please God. Right? So this area of a godly lifestyle is very important. Godliness is important to that doctrine of sanctification and the way we practice that in everyday living. And then number four is the idea of soul winning. Soul winning is a, coin, a term that was coined and used uh, very frequently you could call it witnessing. Some prefer to use the biblical word witnessing. Uh, the Bible does refer to those that win souls. So the word soul winning is not unbiblical or, or incorrect or inappropriate. It probably is a little more aggressive than, than what some people like to use when it comes to that idea of, of winning people to the Lord. Look, the truth is this. You can't win anybody to the Lord if you cannot win them first to yourself. If they don't have confidence in you, then they're not going to believe the message that you share with them about Jesus. And that same idea is true for our church. And because of that, we want people to have respect and appreciation for Beckwith Baptist Church. And, and because of that, we want, a, we want a testimony and a reputation that says we're truthful, we're honest, 
right? We, we treat people uh, correctly and that we love God and we're true to his word. And when people know that about you and your church, then they are more apt to pay attention and listen to the message that you share about judgment and about sin and about the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings, especially when they see a difference in your life. When you are a living testimony and you say, Jesus saved me, and look. Now, if they look and don't see a difference between how you were and how you are, they're going to say, well, so what? Right? But if something happened to you that made you different in a good way, special, better, then they have a tendency then to perk up and take notice. Wow, hey, there's something to this. Something to this Jesus thing. There's something to this gospel message. And it makes them interested. I want to know more. That's the way God intended for it to be. And that's the importance of the topic, godliness today. So I want to bring a message I've entitled simply this, to live godly. What does it mean to live godly? Well, first, I want to share an idea with you from the scriptures that will kind of define this. Right? To live godly, let's look at this, at this description in 1 John chapter number 3. To live godly means to purify yourself. All right? To live godly means to purify yourself. Now look, the truth is you cannot totally purify yourself or you wouldn't have needed to be saved by Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross. But the idea is that you're going to purify your ways... The the idea is that you're going to make some changes for the better. Why? Remember, our motive is to please him. Because of what he did for me, I now want to do better than I've been. Right? We're not doing better in order to be saved. We're doing better because we are saved. It's out of appreciation. It's out of love that I make these choices. 1 John chapter 3, look at verses 2 and 3. Notice what it says. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Stop right there. What does he mean, now are we the sons of God? After salvation, you are considered to be a child of God. And John 1.12 says that. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, John 1.12 says you have the right to say, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. It is correct to say that if you've been truly born again, right? And so now he's alluding to the fact that you have been born again. And he says this, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, talking about heaven. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Now watch the next verse. And every man that hath this hope in him. What hope? The hope of being with Jesus in heaven. Every man that hath this hope in him, what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Why? Because when we think upon those things that we did before we met Christ, it brings shame. It brings guilt. And you know what? We don't want to meet Jesus Christ carrying all of that in that day. Isn't that right? So what do we do? We give some effort to live godly. We give some effort to purify ourselves. Every believer should be working on this. Nobody's perfect at it. Christians everywhere, we mess up all the time. You can look around in this room, and I'm telling you, people are people no matter where you go, and people are still people, even in church. <laughs> no, nobody here, including myself, no one has mastered this. We're all working on it. And we're going to be working on it until the day we meet Jesus and he'll finish it up for us, all right? But I believe because of what Jesus has done for us, it is natural that a Christian wants to live godly. So what does all this mean? How do you live godly then? What is it? It's to purify yourself. But how do you do it? I, I believe that you have to work on it in several ways. Number one, I believe in order to live godly, you have to examine your thoughts. You have to examine your thoughts. You know, God gave us a powerful thing, the mind. The mind of man is a powerful tool. And, and the only thing we have to compare to it, I would think, is the computer. And if you want to get a little closer comparison, man is working to create something from the computer. 
that will be the closest thing to the mind of man that we have ever seen. Right? And it's called AI. Artificial intelligence. It's when a computer learns how to think. Whoa. Elon Musk said, AI, artificial intelligence, he said it's the most dangerous thing you've ever seen. More dangerous, he said, than nuclear warheads. Take it from a computer guy. I'm, I'm not one, but I'll just quote him then. Powerful stuff we're talking about. This is, we're talking about the mind of man. Your mind is so powerful. And because... There is a dark side, and because there is sin, and because there is a devil, because of that, you can't just let your thoughts run wild. You can't just allow yourself to think about anything that comes to your mind. You cannot unbridle and unleash your thoughts and just let them ramble wherever they end up. And a Christian should not do that. It's not safe. It's dangerous. An unleashed mind has the potential of a Uvalde, Texas, of a Columbine, right? Listen, the world is going crazy about this stuff, but they're looking at the wrong things. The problem is not a machine that man created. The problem is is man himself. That's why we're here today. We, we found something that helped us overcome that. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who did what? Saved us from sin, yes. But watch this. Saved us from ourselves. From ourselves. And the destruction that man is capable of bringing on himself. That's why the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Powerful stuff going on. Listen, we have to, if you're going to live a godly life, you're going to have to examine your thoughts. Now, what does the Bible say about examining your thoughts? It says a lot of stuff, and I don't have time to deal with everything, but let me show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Either turn there or write it down so you can look it up later. 2 Corinthians, this is Paul again writing, and he's writing to the Corinthian church. And this is what he told them you have to do with your thought life. He said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Then he said this, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those are powerful words. But Paul said, you got to run around in your mind and you got to capture every thought. And you have to examine that. Does it line up? Is it in obedience to Christ? If the answer is no, then the Christian responsibility is to cast that out away. Do not allow yourself to meditate and think about things that are not good and godly for your life. He said, if it doesn't line up with the obedience of Christ, cast it down. That means don't allow yourself to think and meditate and to imagine. You know, here's what, here's what we don't realize. It happens, the transition is so smooth between thinking and imagining. You know why Disney is so popular with everyone? Because we all do it. Walt Disney perfected something that we all use. Our imagination. But what you don't realize, until it's too late, is that the devil is able, like a hacker, to tap into your imagination and use it against you. To imagine yourself in an ungodly way, doing ungodly things. And if you don't stop that nonsense, then you will eventually be doing it. That's what happened in Uvalde, Texas. Now, you can blame the gun maker if you want to. I, 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 listen, I don't like gun violence any more than the next guy. But I know that guns don't pull their own trigger. 
I know there are millions of Americans that have guns that have never done such things. And that tells me the gun's not the problem. It's the person holding it. Or, if we're really going to take away guns, why don't we just take them away from everybody? Police, military, let's just not have any. Oh, no, they won't do that. Right? We're not going that far. Well, it's, it's a big debate. But, but look, we're here today. This is Sunday, right? We're here today because we know something they don't know. We see that the deeper issue is, is the heart of man. That's where the real problem lies. And what that boy in Ivaldi needed was Jesus Christ. He needed to be saved. If somebody had gotten to him with the gospel before somebody else got to him with guns, maybe there would have been a different outcome. Because I know on his little McDonald's salary, he couldn't afford to buy those. That's another, that's another message. Another message. Examine your thoughts. What does examine your thoughts mean? Just as Paul said, it means you have to look at everyone. You have to bring it into captivity. It means you're in charge of your thoughts. It means you control them. Don't let them control you. And make them subject to Christ. That means you have to choose what you're going to allow yourself to think about. So let me ask you a question. Are you doing this? Because you cannot live godly without this practice of examining your thoughts and casting down the wrong ones. Number two, if you're going to live godly, it means that you have to mind your words. Mind your words. You see, in in the biblical respect, if you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, then you don't have the right to say whatever you want to. I don't care if this is America and we have free speech. You need to be careful what you say. You need to mind your words. And don't go around bragging about this is how God made me. Because God did not create you to spout off at the mouth. That is the sinful part of you that's coming out, not the godly part of you. Because godliness teaches us to mind our words. The Bible has a lot of powerful things to say about the tongue and the power of the tongue, and the consequences, and the deadly poison, and all of that. Whew, I don't have time to even give you everything. But let me show you a couple of highlights about minding your word. Let me just show you why we need to mind our words. Notice the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 29 and 30. Notice what the Bible says. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying or building up someone, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, when you read the Bible, you got to stop once in a while and you got to think about what it's saying. And here's what that verse is saying Does your words build people up and does it minister grace to those who hear you? Do they come away from you built up and refreshed? If not, you need to answer the question, why not? Verse 30, we mentioned this verse a lot, but I included it because I want you to see where it appears in the Bible. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. A lot of times we use that verse to talk about the eternity of our salvation. You know, when Jesus saved us, he he did it permanently. And that verse confirms that because it tells us that we're sealed until the day of redemption, all right? So once that act is done, it's done. And Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate you from that. It's permanent. That's good. Good to know that because I'd mess it up if it wasn't. But the first part of that verse, verse 30 says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And we talk about how you can grieve God, how you can grieve the Holy Spirit who, if you're saved, he lives within you. And you can grieve him. But my point today about that truth is, notice where the subject of grieving God appears. Right after the verse about what comes out of your mouth. And, And I'm telling you, you won't grieve God with anything faster than what you say to other people. 
we need to mind our words. Because not only can we offend others, we can grieve God with what we say. And as a Christian, the whole idea of living godly is this idea that I want to please God and I want to do what He wants me to do and I want to live better because of Him. Well, then by all means, if that's true, we have to mind our words. Notice what the Bible says, not only in Ephesians 4, but notice Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says there, But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy. Oh, those are terrible. But right next comes what? Filthy communication out of your mouth. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Hey, the world talks about potty mouth like it's a great thing to be proud of. Like it's some kind of mark of manhood if you have that. God says, flush that. Get rid of that. It ranks right up there with blasphemy and malice and anger. Yeah, filthy communication out of your mouth. Notice what God says. Verse 9, he went on to say, Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So God's telling us that it's, it's part of the old man, it's part of the sinful part of us, to lie and speak in a filthy way. That, that's part of, listen, that's part of the person that you wanted to be saved from coming back out. God said, don't allow that. Put that far away from you. Notice what the Bible says in James. James chapter 3. Notice in verse 8 through 11. What does the Bible say about minding your words? James chapter 3 there says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, he doesn't say that so that you will just, well, just give up the effort of, of trying to mind our word. That, that's not the point. The point is he's trying to show us how powerful it is. You could say that about certain horses, but people still try to tame them, don't they? And we should still try to speak the truth and tame our language. So he says, he continues, he doesn't stop there. Verse 9, he said, with that tongue, he said, Therewith, bless we God, even the Father. And therewith, that same tongue, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. He said, then out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Well, the answer is no. No. You'd have to have a different source for that. And he's saying, that's right. Don't be the source of filthy language and lies and all of that coming out of your mouth. Look. Hey, this is one of those areas where friendship with the world is enmity with God. Because, hey, to the world, that's bragging rights, man. Filthy language, potty mouth, pull that out once in a while. They, hey, they think that, man, you just got to mark up on their, on their level. If you're like that, you know where to use that? Man, you're all right. You're a cool dude. But God said, no, you're, you're, you're full of deadly poison. That's the old man and his deeds. You've forgotten what happened to you. Remember Jesus? Hey, he saved you from that. God's saying, don't participate in that. God's saying, you're, you're tapping into the wrong source. You don't get sweet water and bitter from the same source. Don't be the source of that bitterness. Don't be the source of the cursing. Don't be the source of the lying, the filthy communication, the dirty jokes, all that. Listen, you're supporting the wrong side when you participate in that. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs? It says, they that forsake the law praise the wicked. So here's what you're doing. When you do stuff like that, you're praising the wickedness of man, by participating in it and encouraging it, you're being a supporter of it. 
How can you please God like that? Well, you can't. You know, the Bible, on occasion, uses these rhetorical questions with the obvious answer of, mm, no. Right? To get us to see the error of our ways. Because so easily we are caused, not through instruction, but through influence. We are caused to act contrary to the will of God for our life. We're just so easily influenced. Man, we need to be careful. Right? If it was through instruction, oh, that would go to the front of the mind. We would think about that and quickly know, oh, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. But influence has a way of bypassing our judgment, taps into the emotional side of us, and we just, because we want to fit in, because we, we, want, to be, we want to hang out with the, with the buddies, uh, because we want to be accepted and all of that stuff, we, we tend to imitate a lot of things that God would not have us be part of. We have to learn to mind our words. And why do we have a message on this? Because I'm telling you, examining your thoughts and minding your words, they are not habits that they're going to take form by accident. These are things you have to do intentionally on purpose or they'll never happen in your life. You will not be a godly Christian by accident. I promise you that. Nobody ever just rolled out of bed on Sunday morning and woke up godly. doesn't happen like that. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort over a lot of time. Consistency is the real key here. Right? Are you just godly on occasion? Do you just know when to turn off the bad stuff? Hey, that's not real godliness at all. To be godliness is to truly become what God wants and be that all the time. You don't turn that off. So let's mind our words. Notice the Bible says in Proverbs 4, verse 24, it says, Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. How far is far? <laughs> well, how much do you love Jesus? God's saying, that thing that's perverse, put it far from you. Far. Hey, that includes lying. That includes deceit. You know, the things we don't actually say, but we're going to let you think it. That includes slander. That includes gossip. That includes profanity. We could go on and on. Brethren, if we're going to be real, we've got to mind our words. That's what it means to live godly. But that's not all it means. Examine your thoughts, mind your words. Number three, if you're going to be godly, this is kind of where it all starts. Number three, you're going to have to keep your heart Notice the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Hey friend, you mean to tell you the truth? The secret to your Christianity, here it is. You're going to do what you love. If you love going to church, guess where you're going to be Sunday morning? You're going to be in church. If you love going to church, you're going to be frequent at it. You're going to advocate it. You're going to invite others to come with you. Right? But the same is true on the flip side. If you love gossip, right? If you love soap operas and dirty movies, if you like the locker room jokes, guess where you're going to be hanging out? You see? So what we love has a lot to do with the choices we make and how we see things, and it has everything to do with what kind of Christian we become. And that's why Paul wrote so much of what he wrote to the Corinthian church. Those two books are so powerful. I would think, though, that if the average person outside of the church read that and knew that's what goes on in church, oh, man, they'd be shocked. Because those people, they think we're perfect. They think we got it all together, or at least we look like we do. 
But we know the truth. We know that we're just like them. The only difference between them and us is we met Jesus and now we're trying. (laughs) And I'm just hoping, bringing this message today, to boost some of that effort to try harder. Let's not just give a little bit, but let's give it all. Let's be all we can be for Jesus Christ. Let's step in and let's be godly. Let's know what it is to live a godly lifestyle. In order to do that, you have to keep your heart. The word keep there in that verse, it means to guard, to safeguard, to protect. It means like like having a fort built around your heart. Like having military personnel on duty, guarding and protecting it. That's the kind of diligence he's talking about. Keep your heart, guard it. People say, oh, I, I, I can hang out with them. They don't bother me. I can watch that. Don't bother me. I can read this. I can be around these influences, you know. I'm okay. Really? That's not the mindset that God gives us in his word. He doesn't say take risk with influence and live on the edge of life and and put yourself in a vulnerable position to be pulled away from God. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you want to be a good Christian, get away from that. Get away from the edge. Get away from the vulnerability. Quit rubbing shoulders with the devil, acting like you're Superman. And live godly. Put that wall up. Guard your heart a little bit more. What does that mean? That means you stop listening to some things. It means you turn some things off. It means you choose not to read some things because you're guarding your heart. You're valuing that space where your love develops so that you can love good and godly things and not be drawn away with what the world has to offer. Keep your heart. The Bible says in 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 15. Keeping your heart is one, it's one concept. It's a teaching that you need to think about. But 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter introduces another concept of the heart. And this is for the believer. You've got to think about this. Notice what he said in 1 Peter three fifteen. It says there, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And then it says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and fear. And and we we use that verse a lot to talk about how we should be ready to witness and ready to talk about Jesus and all that. And it's true. But why is it true? Why should we always ready to talk about Jesus? Well, the answer to that should be because of the first part of the verse says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's the part we don't talk about much. And, And that's the part we got to do first. It's funny how we skip that. It's kind of like trying to take a shortcut. Often the shortcut doesn't actually lead to the total results you were trying to get. When you get there, you figure out, oh, something's missing. Oh, well, that's the shortcut for you. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What does that mean? It means that you set God apart in here. It means you elevate him in, 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 your, in the priority level. It means you put him first in here. You love God first in your heart. That's what it means to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And you know what? When you love Jesus like you ought to love him, guess what? You are ready to answer every man. You, hey, you'll witness at the drop of a hat. You'll tell anybody about Jesus. It don't matter who they are or what kind of uniform they're wearing or what office they work in, what their address is, what kind of car they drive. It don't matter. You're ready to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because you love God. You've sanctified him in your heart. And that answer, man, it, it's ready. It comes easy. You know, that's how we are, aren't we? When we first get saved. Man, we're so excited. We want to tell everybody about Jesus. We want to invite our friends, our family members of church. We want everybody to come. We want everybody to hear and experience what we just experienced. But you know what? That's the condition that we need to stay in in our Christian life. But the only way we can is we have to make a choice to put God first in our heart, to sanctify him, to love him the most. Because the Bible says in Mark chapter 12, verse thirty. It says this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You know, most discipleship programs skip that. Jesus said, that's the first thing. 
Why do we always skip the first things? Let's, let's stop taking shortcuts. Look, if you want, you ever made a, you ladies know what I'm talking about. You ever made a recipe and you thought, man, this just don't taste like, right? Why? I'm going to tell you why. Something's missing. People have these heirloom family recipes, secret for 900 years and all this stuff. Look, that's because when they give you that little card and it's got all the ingredients on it. Look, do you, how many of you know it takes more than ingredients to make a recipe, to make a meal, right? There's more to it than that. Like, like when you bake this and how long and when you mix this with that and stir like this, right? And if you don't do all that stuff in the right order at the right time, you're not going to get the same result at the end. And it ain't going to taste the same. And, and they're going to say, well, because she stirred it with her finger. And that's not it. <laughs> the difference is you didn't get all the picture. And we certainly don't get all the picture when we skip important things in the Christian life. Hey, look, maybe some of us need to go back to first base and just fall in love with Jesus again. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be a miserable Christian if you're trying to live godly and you ain't in love with him. You're going to look like a Pharisee. You don't want that. It's not a duty thing. It's a devotion it sure is bad, right, when you come to church, oh, because I have to be here. Man, I feel sorry for you. I hope you came today because you want to be here. Man, I came because I want to know what does God have for me today. I want to get something out of his word, right? Wow. Love God with all your heart. You know, he didn't just say love God with all your heart. He could have said that. We would have got it. But he said all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Just showing us the importance and the thoroughness of that. Now, how can you love God that way if you're not examining your thoughts? If you're not keeping your heart, if you're not minding your words, well, then you don't love God like that, right? Love is the reason why we do what we do. We do it because we love God. Keeping your heart means guarding what influences it. Guarding what influences you. Pay attention. Don't put yourself vulnerably next to things that could influence you away from God. That's the point. Let me show you number four. My time is up, and this is, this is probably one of the most practical parts of the message. But to live godly, number four, you need to order your body. Order your body. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, not completely, not W-H-O-L, but you present your bodies H-O-L-Y, holy unto God. That means pure, Right? And when we go and when we present ourselves to God in a pure state, it says that is acceptable unto God. This verse brings up what is acceptable. You know what that means? That means you can present something to God that is unacceptable. Would, would be the flip side of this concept here, right? which is your reasonable service. Paul's saying it's just a reasonable thing to do. If, if Jesus gave his all for you and he died to save you, then it's just a reasonable thing for you to give your all and live for him and love him back. Love him, live in such a way that serves him. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you prove the will of God? In your body. That's why he said, submit yourself to God as a sacrifice. What does that mean? It means to live for God on purpose. It means to make the hard choices every day, to get away from worldliness and get close to godliness. Here's a parallel passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? People say, my body. Wait a minute. If you're saved by the grace of God, 
It's not yours anymore. Jesus bought you. And he does claim ownership. And so now, we don't just have the right to do whatever we want. We have the right to serve God and do what he wants. And you know, if you love God, then you, you feel that way. You want to. He said, you're not your own. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, what does it say? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, there's a lot of Christians who really play down. Let's just don't talk about what God says about the body. Let's just make a big deal about spirit. You know, all the stuff you can't see. We can talk about that all day long. But they don't want to talk about nothing, you, nothing tangible. No, oh, no, let's don't, like, hey, don't, don't, don't go there. Don't talk about that. Why? God put it first. He said glorify God in your body and your spirit because both of them belong to God. People say, well, it's not so much on the outside, but on the inside that counts. Really? That's not what the Bible says. It says glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That means it counts. That means God notices. But I thought the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. It does. But what you fail to realize, what those people won't teach you, is that God sees both. What that Old Testament verse is trying to tell us is that we can't see the inside of people like we think we can sometimes. Oh, I know why she said that. Really? You don't, you don't know people's motives. Every once in a while we catch a glimpse of something that we think we understand, but the truth is we can't see that. But God can. And God gave us that verse in the story of the Old Testament where a king was being chosen. And God, not Samuel, but God was declining a person because of what he saw on the inside. God said, you can't see it, but I'm telling you, that's not the one. You don't want him as your king. Oh, would he have messed up. God said, the guy that looks good on the outside, and he's big and tall and handsome, you think he's, the, you think he's a good candidate. But you can't see in there what I see in his heart. That's what God was teaching us with that verse. God wasn't saying that he doesn't pay attention to the outward. But God was saying he looks deeper than the outward to also see what is within. And in the context of that story, what was on the inside was corrupt and it was awful. But it wasn't being reflected on the outside. Samuel couldn't see it, so God had to tell him, you don't want him. He's not the one. God was not saying that he doesn't care about the outside. Because the Bible plainly tells us in the New Testament in Corinthians that we are to glorify God in our body. There's a lot of ways to apply that. But basically it means that what we do in the body, we should be doing to please the Lord. Right? This has to do with places you go. It has to do with activities, what you do. It has to do with what you wear. Believe it or not, yeah, it matters. There's a lot of controversy just about what people should wear to church. Well, God doesn't tell us garment by garment, but he does give us some guidelines. Do you care enough to know what those are? Have you looked at them? Have you asked God? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, Lord, does this please you? Am I representing you well today by what I wear? These are the kind of things we have to stop and do if we want to please God, if we want to live godly. Who you're with, how you act, and how you behave. Because these are things that you do in your body. These are practical things that we have to spend time thinking about on purpose. Look, it won't happen by accident. You have to make time for this. 
You have to do it on purpose. You have to be intentional. I want to be godly. I want to please God. So I'm going to do these things. I'm going to examine my thoughts. I'm going to mind my words. I'm going to keep my heart. I'm going to order my body. Right? That means you be in control of what your body does, what you let it do. You cannot let any of these areas go unleashed. You can't. You can't do that and be godly at the same time. Because what you will find is that your carnal flesh will resurrect and you will not naturally represent God well in any of these areas if you don't try. It's true, isn't it? The Bible even says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So for those who are truly desiring to please God, you want to be on guard, you want to be on watch for the right things. This is what it means to be godly. So dear Christian, I ask you today, are you living a godly life? Are you making the effort to purify yourself? For the Lord? Are you abstaining from things that would not please the Lord in your life? Or do you have some work to do? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love you today. And as we come to the close of this message, Lord, we, we all, myself included, we have to say, Lord, we haven't arrived. We're not perfect at this. And we're probably a long way from where we should be because we don't see these topics from the same vantage point that you do. So today, Lord, we come asking you to help us, help us see more clearly, help us understand a little better. Lord, today, help us have the desire to try a little harder to be what we ought to be in Jesus Christ. To be the kind of Christian that's making the effort to represent the Lord well in in the community and in life and in our family and our home. Lord, may we personally strive to be our best. Not just our best, but our best in Christ. Taking advantage of all the things that you've made available to us in the Spirit. Lord, we pray you do a work in our hearts today. We pray that you'll bring to mind specific things that we need to start doing and start changing ways that we can help do better and be godly. Lord, I pray you'd show us by your word and by your spirit, Lord. I pray you'd guide us. I pray you'd apply this message to each one of us because we're all at different places on our journey with you. And Lord, you know that. You know exactly where we are in our life and our understanding and all of that. So I pray you'd help us today. Shine the light on those next steps and show us what you'd have us do. Lord, that we might truly please you in all things. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.